podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This year, millions will be diagnosed with low energy, but Planet Fitness has the cure. Boost your energy with tons of equipment and our clean and spacious clubs for $1 down and $10 a month. Join the judgment-free zone today. Deal extended to Wednesday, April 12th. See Home Club for details. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This podcast slightly more fit than Joffre Archer's elbow at the moment. Today we've got England coaching changes, IPL updates, retirements and county cricket round six, as well as touching on our very controversial county cricket power rankings. I'm Rob, this is Rich. Welcome <laughs> Good to morning. the podcast. How are we going, Rob? What's going on? We're going great, thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, very well, mate. Very well. Up and at it, ready to talk some cricket. England squad gets announced tomorrow, so I'm really giddy about that. I want to talk about that at some point, but we can't talk about it today because it hasn't happened. Well, we're ahead of the game. We've done our 17-man <laughs> squad that we think or we would want to see. It'd be interesting to see how mm-hmm. many of our players kind of get picked up in that. If you haven't checked out that video, please do so. YouTube guys listening, watching, link above my head just up here. You said whoop, whoop. it should be up there for you guys to <laughs> go and listen to. If you are brand new around here and you're finding us for the first time, don't make sure you leave a subscribe, guys. Plenty of cricket content coming to you every single week. Mine and Rich's pretty faces going on on YouTube. Leave a like. And uh, Rich, before we crack into England news, we've got to start off on it. Rich, watch. Did we yes. have a game of cricket? Yes, unbelievably. Rain was forecast for the whole day. I woke up thinking, it's going to rain. It hadn't rained yet. We got to the ground. It hadn't rained yet. It started raining just as we got there. But we got a game in. It's unbelievable. We, we did a 32-over game, re- reduced it down, but we didn't go off at any point, even though at T, I turned around and go, oh, I've played down here for years. I know this this ground. <laughs> the weather comes from there. I think we're going to be fine. And as I looked up, it started raining and the rain was coming from a different direction. I don't embarrass me like this weather. It's done you. <laughs> Bill's yeah. mother's was all right. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't following the trend. Um, but yeah, so we got a game in. We got a 20-point win for the uh, for the second team I played for, the newer car and M. And um, I got none. I didn't trouble the scorer. So <laughs> I went in a three down for not many and I came out of four down for not many. So what, what happened? You know, what happened? Talk me through it. Well, I mean, you know, you go in three down, you've got to blame it. You play a different way, don't you? You have to try and steady the ship and um, played round one. Simple. Got bowled on my leg stump. How do you get bowled on your leg stump? Right arm over, bowled on my leg stump. Wow. Not happy. Not happy. Wow. But never mind. It was no even bowling. worse that... No, I no done with that. Done with that. I, I was fancying a bit of it, but no, done with that. Um, I did. I wasn't a big fan though of being told by one of the non-batsmen opening. Sorry, the non-playing opening batsmen I played against, who basically turned around as I was about to walk off, saying, "Oh, you set him up." It's like he's not that good. He's not that good. <laughs> just, just miss one on my legs, mate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, that's moving on. Moving on. Excellent. So, Let, let's move on to what potentially might be some pretty big news coming out of the England camp about Chris Silverwood's role and potential splitting mm. of paths. Yeah, paths. I think this is I think this is really sensible. They did something similar last summer, but obviously in the bubble world we live in, don't want to say that word anymore soon, but in advance of Test Squad being announced this week, as we said, it's going to be tomorrow, um, it's been confirmed that Chris Silverwood will hand over the reins to Collingwood, Paul Collingwood and Graham Thorpe for the Sri Lanka and Pakistan ODI series that follows on from the New Zealand Test Series. So, um, like I say, Silverwood skipped last summer's T20 against Pakistan, sensible, uh, and this is another attempt, obviously, by the ECB and the management to just give players staff etc and coaches time off in this hectic and very uncharted period so he claims he's not operating 100% Silverwood uh, and it's not fair on himself or his players so with the added responsibility selection this is sensible and well-timed break. I I like it I've always been someone that kind of likes specialists in specialist areas you get someone that oversees it but the games are so different these days it's not just picking your best players in the country to play every single format it's not the 1990s um, an Atherton opening the batting for England in one day cricket. What's the 90s do to you? Jeez, man. <laughs> I love I was, 90s was a great, great, great decade. I, I could just bring in heat on it. Yeah. Uh, I can remember being on holiday, 1999, Cricket World Cup, wearing my blue England cricket shirt with pride, 14 yeah. years old, getting ripped apart by a load of drunken Scottish people telling me I was sick <laughs> and England are rubbish. And I was like, rubbish and this Fraser plays <laughs> <laughs> I think they were rubbish that tournament though weren't they they were terrible mate absolutely yeah. horrendous. I, I like individuality around coaching around specific things like the guys that coach in the IPL they're guys that's brought in to do a job set format I'd like England to continue to to follow this trend I think it's a good thing and I, I don't know your thoughts but there's so, there's so much talk over the last year about 
protection of players from bubbles and fatigue. Why why can't Chris Silver cry out and go, hey, I'm kind of sinking here by myself, mate. I need, I need some assistance. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think you've just, we're only really just getting into the real start of the Chris Silverwood era. Obviously, he's been coached for a little while now. Now he's been given that head coach and selector um, role as well. So I, I don't, wouldn't, I think it's good to have that w- one single voice. However, with the world we've been living in, when there are these little standalone series, which it's not like going to the Australia, playing the Ashes test yeah. series and ODIs and T20. This is just Sri Lanka and Pakistan, no disrespect to them, but it's just a very, very little standalone few games here and there getting ready uh, for some cricket later on in, this, in the year. Um, so when it's that situation, then it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I think, I mean, who knows what Collingwood and Thorpe see themselves as. They might see themselves as they want to coach Red Bull cricket. But for the time being, it's a great way for them to patronisingly cut their teeth. Um, you know, they're great coaches already, I'm sure. But get a bit more experience of leading a group, leading a yeah. team at international level, uh, even though they did, they would have done that, obviously, and played a lot of tests at, uh, when they were playing. So, yeah, definite merits for what they're doing now. Whether or not we might this become a you know, a splitting off of the two. Um, maybe it's a bit of a job interview. Maybe they do want that. And maybe it's one of Collingwood and Thorpe and whoever does better gets the job. So, hey, who knows? But it's sensible for now, isn't it? Silverwood obviously will still be in charge of the Test Series against uh, New Zealand. And he'll also be back in charge of the India Test Series as well as all the T20s that go with that. Um, and obviously, no doubt, he'll be involved in selection. Um, even if it's from his little Norfolk cottage that apparently his wife's booked for him. We bring you all the news. <laughs> all the news straight from his Instagram stories. <laughs> Been looking over for his fence, for his windows. But yeah, going? <laughs> before before the next next one, I've got to check because I've ripped mm-hmm. I've taken the mick out of Joffrey Archer's elbow. Have you right. got any injuries after getting a, a duck and not bowling in that first week? Because if, if you have, we've got problems. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievably not. I felt really good. I, I don't bowl anymore because of my dodgy knee. Well, it's not dodgy, it's just had an operation and it's crap. Um, but no, I felt good. I actually was wandering around the outfield going, I actually fancy a bowl. And it's like, no, stop it. So still a bit aching the next day, but I haven't really played for two years. So what do you, what do you expect? But no, I, elbow's good. Two elbows, all good. That's not a bad thing, mate. I'd take one because I probably haven't got anything at all. So even banter. My banter wouldn't be on his level, mate. But um, Joffrey Archer news. He, he came back. He's played a bit of cricket. He was exceptional. I was watching the live stream and he opened the bowling uphill, whew, probably into the Hard windows yards. or six. And it is a hill. It's it's probably worse than, was it Hucknall? He's played? Oh, that was a I remember good that. So, yeah, he looked really, really sharp. Took two early wickets, dismissed Zach. Crawley and Daniel Bell Drummond, our big yep. friend Daniel Bell Drummond, and fine, looked good, looked really, really good. Uh, but then he was fiddling with his elbow a little bit, and as the course of the game's gone on, he's got soreness in his elbow. There's a bit of confusion in the second innings whether he should bowl. He did bowl a few overs, but then he wasn't able to bowl on the final day or the last section of the game. So after consultation with ECB, obviously that was ha- that, that occurred that no more bowling. And now he's been ruled out. That's it. He may need uh, more surgery. They're not sure at the moment, but he's certainly not going to be involved in the New Zealand squad. Bad news for him. It's one of those where if it's just a little niggle here and there, then it's not too bad. But when it's a recurring issue on the same piece of your body or part of your body, it's a worry. It's a really worry for the long term as well. Is this going to be a chronic issue? Is it going to be something they have to manage? We've had it too many times. We've, we see the quick bowlers come through and we get so excited. Remember Timmel Mills? Yes. Who came through. He played like an, an England Lions game against England. I don't know what game it was, but I remember him pinning Graham Swan in the face or in the lid. You know, And he looked <laughs> rapid with a red ball. And it was so exciting. But then obviously he had some issues and he ended up just having to play T20, blah, blah, blah. But I don't want Joffre Archer to go this way because Joffre Archer for me is a red ball cricketer yeah. and a test match cricketer and he's a great, great player. So that's, you know, fingers crossed that he can he can recover. Uh, just quick one on the New Zealand, um, England squad for the New Zealand test as well. As I predicted, yeah. um, back slapping going on here, um, they're not going to play the IPL players. So the return players, they're not going to be considered for these two tests against New Zealand. So no spot for Sam Curran, Josh Butler, Chris Wokes, Moen Ali or Johnny Bairstow or... Liam Livingston or Tom Curran or whoever else, Chris Jordan, whoever else came back from uh, from the IPL. So, yep, there you go. Mm. Mm, you, you nailed it on the head, mate. So most of my 17-man squad that I put together 
is unavailable. I might need to go back to the well and copy yours on that one. <laughs> yeah. Silly me. I should have guessed, but I was like, no, I'm going to work you to the bone. Get out of there and play something. <laughs> play. Yes, <laughs> never mind. I think it's sensible, though. I really do. I think just. I think any other year, it's get them on a nice first-class flight home, get yep. yourself ready, unpack your suitcase, you're ready for some cricket. But now with the bubble fatigue, as we keep saying, which I believe I'm not even, I might have read something that I think they're banning the word bubble within the uh, cricket setup. But I might have just dreamt that, but maybe it's a good idea regardless. But you can understand them just saying, take some time, feet up, have a net, relax, get yourself ready. There's, the, the, the thing about um, rolling back to the Joffre Archer piece, mate, that worries me is you look at the string of guys that can bowl and you're talking like minuscule percentage of cricketers that's ever played cricket can bowl that fast. Yes. Tyrell Mills, rapid. Sean Tate, rapid, had to stop playing test cricket. Shane Bond, mm. clocked at 97 mile an hour, one of the, f- would have been up there with a Hadley mm. in terms of quality, but mm. career cut short because of injury. Different injuries, different people, different mm. strokes, different folks, but it's got a worrying trend for bowlers that bowl on that level at the moment. Yeah. And I'm and- really worried about Joff because we're mates. Well, Joff. that's what. Joff, a, a Joffo. Um, <laughs> this is where you get worried, though, isn't it? Because of how many fastballs you've seen over the years, make a breakthrough and then stumble, stumble, stumble with injuries. And you just hope that, like I say, that it isn't a chronic issue and it isn't that he can relatively easily overcome with a, maybe the surgery wasn't brilliant last time. Who knows? I'm not questioning anyone's integrity of surgery here. Uh, but maybe it just needed a little bit more of a tweak. But get the Hoover in there again, get some bits of bone out, uh, whatever it is, get him fit, get him back out on that field as quick as possible. Hopefully, I mean, I don't know what the turnaround is at the moment, but hopefully he'll be fit and ready to go for the India Test Series, but that might be me being optimistic. However, Joe Root has said this week that they're looking for the Test squad to peak for the Ashes. India is a big call over here. New Zealand's a big call over here, but the Ashes this winter is where it's at. Down under November through January, isn't it? That's when we want Joffre Archer firing and pinning um, those Aussie uh, openers. Back in the uh, the older the old days, you know, the whole Harmison and Flintoff days of pinning opening yeah. Aussie batsmen. Maybe not Harmison in Australia, though. First ball. No, 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 no. <laughs> not that Harmison. No, that was um, the first cricket I saw in Australia quickly. And I had I wasn't out for the first test. And I remember sitting up going, this is going to be an amazing series. I can't wait yeah. for this. I'm going to be out there soon for the, I think, the third and fourth test or fourth and fifth test. Yeah, come on then. And then he hit second slip first ball. And it was like... <laughs> We're going to get hammered. Yeah. <laughs> so. it, it, it were open, mate. Um, talking to players that might want to be part of that Australia series that's got a bit of work to do, Dom Sibley, this is almost the Dominic Sibley podcast. He gets his weekly mention. He does. We'll have a little section. Can we have a jingle for him? Can we sort Dom that out, please? Sibley show. Well, maybe the section. I don't know if he's <laughs> going to take over the show. Jeez, come on, Dom. He rolls in here thinking he knows best. So, Obviously, broken digit, second week of the season at Trent Bridge. He is going, he was close to a recall last week, but um, the game before against Worcestershire, but worries about fielding, etc. They then had a week off, so it was sensible to delay his recall. Now, he is going to play on the games that start on the 20th, which is in a couple of days' time, but he is currently playing as part of a second 11, uh, which started yesterday against Essex at Chelmsford. Uh, no, not Essex, that's who he's playing in the first day, but he's playing a second 11 game. So, it's, a, it's one of those, it, the more I read at the moment, and it's usually those people have heard something, it does sound to me as if he will be in the squad. I think that's a strange one. I really do, because he's just not played any cricket and, he, and it wasn't like he was on a convincing run, but it seems like he's got more credit in the bank than I, I thought he had. Um, so good news that he'll be back playing, you know, he'll be fit playing. And yeah, we'll we'll see what what comes with the, the squad announcement later today. Um, yeah, Dominic Sibley, Wisdom Cricket of the Year, one of five. We, that's got to be mentioned every podcast. It, Only it, five. It's an interesting one. I, I picked him in my squad based on his golden summer, averaging forty in English conditions. Going, you know what? You've earned an opportunity to be the opener yeah. in England again. And we talked about his shortcomings in India. Terrible, one hundred and thirty-four runs, average sixteen. Very very poor. Out of his last twelve innings, ten of them have been below twenty. That. Is it's like looking at my play cricket stats, mate. It's it's not ideal when you're looking at it. So there is, and again, it comes back to Joe Root going pinnacle of this year, despite having New Zealand 
number one, despite having India number two, is going and playing the number three Aussies in Aussie. Because that's the English way. The Ashes is held above anything else in Test Match Cricket. And it's not a knock on India. It's not a knock on New Zealand. It's just what we hold in the in the highest regard. And Joe Root, Chris Silverwood, they want to know if Dominic Sibler is going to open on Australia. So they're going to give him the six test matches before Aussie or however many they are. Mm-hmm. Right, you're our guy still. If he doesn't score runs in against New Zealand in two test matches, mate, they will look elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably fair, actually. I, I was probably being a little bit unfair on him. And I think I was looking at it from both sides. When you put it all together, the injury, the lack of cricket, the lack of scores, and the time between, you know, whether or not he's going to play any cricket before the first test. That's where I was at. But, you know, I can understand. I can understand him being selected ahead of, for example, that other select uh, opener that I chucked in, you know, which was in, in the end, I believe, was Alex Lees, wasn't it? But Hasib Hamid was mentioned. Hassan Azad was mentioned. Yeah. I'd still wouldn't surprise me if one of those guys get a get a uh, call up, but we shall see. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed that Sibley does, make, you know, if he does make the squad, that he, he, he plays well. As simple yeah. as that. You know, if they play, if they're playing for England, you want him to do well, unless there's one or two players over the years I've kind of hope get cleaned up first of all, but... Not many. Dom's not one of those. So go, Dom. Go, Dom. You do you, Dom. Um, big, <laughs> yeah. big, big series against the Black Caps. And yes, big news. One of the all-time great wicketkeeper batsmen, a genuine batsman, genuine wicketkeeper, has uh, yeah. taken his last bow in Test cricket. Absolutely. Anytime we can get a, a you know, crowbar a mention of Adam Perore into a podcast, we'll do it. You know, they're, they're the names we live for. But I yeah, big, to, big news. I once took a ferry with Adam Perore. Wow. Yep, that's oh, it. He didn't know can, I was can on we, it. Oh, I'd love to make you a T-shirt for that. I once <laughs> took, a, took a ferry with Adam Perore. Someone, someone. That's it. I can't remember exactly who it was. Someone turned around and went, it's Adam Perore. I was like, no way. <laughs> just just marking wow. out. Adam Perore. New Zealand celebs. Oh, sweet ass. (laughs) So the big news, though, we're talking about Adam Perori, as if it's the Adam Perori show. BJ Watlin, that's the news, Rob. So we've got two big retirements this week. The first one directly linked to the upcoming New Zealand Test Series, and it is BJ Watlin. The Kiwi keeper batsman is hanging up his gloves following the England Test. The 35-year-old mainstay of the team since his inclusion back in 2009 as an opening bat, but he ends as arguably the best keeper batsman in New Zealand history. Sorry, Adam. Yeah. Um, number of test records to his name from his 73 test caps. If he plays all three of the tests over in England, two against England, one against India in the World Test Championship final, he will end, he will surpass, sorry, his um, Kiwi legend, Adam Perore, as the most caps player in New Zealand history with 67. So we know those two numbers don't match, but he did play a few as a batsman. So that's where that goes. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's big news. He, I think he had to push it forward because they were announcing the central contracts, weren't they? Yes. Um, just before this. And obviously it would have been a strange omission. So he had to get ahead of the news and, uh, and just make his announcement. Yep. No, fair play to BJ Watlin. He's been around the scene for a hell of a long time. He's, for those that don't know, he's a South African-born player but grew up in New Zealand. He moved across and, and lived down in Hamilton Way for since he was about 10 years old, went to Hamilton Boys High School. Chris Kugeline, who played for the Black Caps, was his coach back at Hamilton High School, Boys, where rugby is probably more important. <laughs> but Maybe Chris's son is Scott Kugeline, who you will see in the news, um, played in the IPL, played some T20 cricket, uh, a few issues around that. But not taken away from BJ Watling, incredible cricketer, 3,381 runs, an average just shy of 40. It's like that Alex Stewart kind of, are you 39, are you 40, kind of getting towards the end of your career. So every chance he can get across the line, seven centuries, 25 fifties, and 257 dismissals, which puts him ninth all time for wicket keepers in the history of Test cricket. That is serious, serious categories to be talked about. Absolutely. And not just those categories, but those, you know, the most runs, highest average, most hundreds, most fifties, most dismissals. The numbers Rob's just said are the records held by Watling as a test, as a test wicket keeper for New Zealand. So he holds the set, basically. Yeah. That's it. You know, he is the best keeper batsman um, that New Zealand have had. Again, yep. sorry, Adam. Um, those most runs and highest average as well, to give him context as well for people that are thinking, ah, it's pretty good, but it's New Zealand. Don't be just thinking that, but, you know, maybe one or two of you are. Um, since the turn of the century, only Adam Gilchrist and Matt Pryor have scored more runs at a higher average as a keeper than Watling has in Test cricket. So give him his place. Yeah, class. Average is more than Dhoni, mate. That's that's your yardstick. Average is mm. more than Dhoni in Test cricket. 
Nice, and nice. And centuries. Yeah, just to round it off as well, he also currently shares the records for highest fourth and fifth, fifth wicket partnership for New Zealand in Test history as well. They're still in the book, I believe. The fifth wicket with Kane Williamson and the fourth, I can't remember who it was. I'm going to just say Ross Taylor, but it probably isn't. But It'd be Ross Taylor or Kane Williamson, one of them. <laughs> exactly. So, be, yeah, England fans will... He will, he will. I mean, England fans obviously will get to see him again in a couple of tests this this coming month, uh, but they'll also fondly, maybe not fondly, remember his big double century man of the match performance he hit against them in, let me say this right, Mount Manganui? Close, Manganui. Oh, man. Oh, man, Manganui. <laughs> in, in 2019. Um, and I'm sure he'll be hoping to add to his, um, to his 800, seven as a keeper, his 800s before finally calling it a day. Class act, mate. Class act. Talking of class acts. One of Class the act, yeah. finest T20 bowlers of maybe of all time. Yeah, we, we, the lefty, lefty uh, Harry Gurney, um, Knott's bowler. It's sad, it's end of the cricketing road for him. The Knott's an ex-England Seamo, started at Leicestershire. He's had, sadly had to call it a day at the age of 30, 34 after failing to overcome a shoulder injury uh, that meant he missed Knott's T20 blast success last summer. Um, obviously, he was on a white ball contract last year or so, uh, but... Um, yeah, it's a big shame for him. I mean, he, he was one of those players that, you know, Knott's get a lot of criticism, don't they, for picking up players from other counters. And he followed that well-trodden path, the likes of Stuart Broad and James Taylor, came across from Leicester to Trent Bridge and really kind of grew as a player. Um, success, one day wins 2013 and 2017 for Knott's and also T20 blast success in 2017. Um, decent, I mean, you know, white, white ball player. He's played all the way around the world, but a first-class career still, 103 games, 310 wickets at 30. I'll be honest, I thought those stats would be a little bit higher, like, you know, more games, more wickets, considering his career. But yeah. it just shows you how much white ball he has played, though. And he's, you know, just to round things off as well, he was in England internationally, he played 10 ODIs and T20s, all in 2014. Uh, and then he's had great success travelling the world, plying his trade in T20 competitions with trophy-winning stints at the Melbourne Renegades in the Big Bash, Barbados Tridents in the CPL. And he's also spent a bit of time in the IPL with Kolkata Knight Riders and the PSL with Kretketa. Quetta Gladiators. So a really good career. Sadie's calling it a day, but I think from a Knotts perspective, it's it as m- nice as it would be to have him around, it opens up a spot for one of the younger players, and that's exactly what Knotts should be focusing on. But a really good career for Harry Gurney. And uh, yeah, good luck to him. Yep, absolute class. The man nicknamed Mr. Bean by Mark War for how he looked back <laughs> when he was playing in the Big Bash, mate. Class nicknamed that. Oh. But um, he did. For a period, probably from about 2006 to 2019, mate, probably the best white ball swing opening bowler in the world and mm. bowling at the death. PSL, IPL, T10 contract, Big Bash contract, being there, done it, got the T-shirt. And you've got to say... Damn well unlucky not to be part of that England setup again after those initial stints in mm. 2014, mate, because he was wherever he went, a little bit Dan Christian esque that wherever he went, there were trophies and competitions yeah. and being right in the mixer. And he's going to be sorely missed. Um, you know, when you're watching the Vitality T20 Blast, he is a star name when you're watching the, the TV for me. He's yeah. and he's class. He he was absolutely, absolutely. class. He got in control of his skills, didn't he, towards the end of his career? You know, every bowler goes through that period where they're, they're working hard and then they get to a point where it just, it's automatic. And he got that. He finishes looking at his T20 career, 156 appearances, um, 190 wickets at an average of 22.58, which is very handy, and an economy of under eight, 7.84 uh, quality. Yeah, so so good luck to him. Um, talking of IPL, as we just have, um, BCCI have ruled out India hosting any of the rescheduled remaining IPL games. Saurav Ganguly basically confirmed it will not be in India. They're still eager to, uh, to finish the competition at some point, but um, it's not going to happen there. As we mentioned, UAE and Sri Lanka are both options, and a September assumption is still the best bet, although apparently England could also become an option. But there are plenty of hurdles, obviously, to overcome. It would make sense, wouldn't it, if you think about it? You've got an India test side, you've got an India test set up over here. Yeah. Why not bring the competition over here? I don't know how it would work or where it would do it, but you know that's, a, that's England should be bringing fans in by then as well. Yeah. There's obviously a really there's a big cricket following in this country, obviously, but there's also a big Indian cricket following as well in this country. So, I mean, what a great idea that would be if somebody could pull that off. That sounds like money in the bank to me. It does to me. But if I'm the ECB and I'm going, I've got this brand new product that I want to put out there that I want to push that I want to be better than the IPL hundred and i'm bringing in what is essentially it's probably highest 
competitor that they can see, it's mm. almost like one, you're going to gain a whole shed load of cash coming through the door. That's great. But yep. two, are you diminishing the hundred by bringing the IPL into England at the wrong time? Any other year, it probably would have been amazing. Possibly, but the hundred will be done and dusted by them. The hundred's come and gone. If the hundred was ahead of it, then I would say it, it, you protect your protect your your idea. But the hundred is going to be July, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be come and gone. So if we're saying September, it'll be into September because um, I think the last test finishes start of September against against India. So. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I still think they should look after the neighbours. Sri Lanka have been kind enough to ask. You should just be polite and say, yes, thank you. That's lovely. <laughs> um, politeness. Australia. Politeness. Oh, well, I mean, that's a perfect link, isn't it? <laughs> um, our second favourite Antipodean friends. <laughs> so we have to say that with a Kiwi on the pod. So, yeah, a few notes of my friends down under as we're building up, obviously, to that Ashes winter. That word, the Ashes word is going to be used more and more as we get deeper into this season. Um, firstly, reports have surfaced that Australia will host their very first test match versus Afghanistan in a one-off test as a warm-up for the Ashes. Games expect to be played in Hobart in November, obviously, prior to that first test that is always played at the Gabba, usually around the 26th-ish of, um, of November. I, I think they did have one in the diary before, but it got to get cancelled. But this is amazing. Great for Afghanistan and also pretty cool for Australia as well. Yeah, it is. It's, it's great for world cricket, mate. Everyone's a winner. Everyone wants to see Afghanistan because... Afghanistan's unique compared to a lot of the other minnows around that they genuinely have world-class players, some world-class players. But what they've not been given is access to playing test cricket and developing test cricket skills. So everyone wants to go and see them play against the best. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They might get trounced, but it's opportunity and it's exposure for for the game and for Afghanistan and for those world-class players that the world wants to see play test cricket. Yeah, cool. Okay, so second little bit in the Australian news, and I have to have a bit of snark with this every week, uh, but you'll be pleased to know, everybody, that the doing it tough Aussies who all had to decamp to the Maldives prior to them being allowed to return to the um, COVID-free on their way home to Australia, um, they're now on their way, Rob. Yay. They're on their way. They've done their time in the Maldives, bless them. You know, pray for Australia. Um <laughs> So they're on their way back. BCCI chartered flight ahead to Sydney via stopping Perth and the players, coaches and other staff will all need to go through their hotel quarantine before being allowed back into the general population. Good on you, Aussies. Good Mal- on you. Maldives aside, I bet they can't wait to get home, mate. I know, I know. It's snog, mate. I mean, I'm just jealous because I'm just sat here in rainy England. I just yeah. love the sound of quarantine in Maldives. But those boys have been it, out and about. It does, it does sound time. amazing. Big news this week. Guardian got an interview with Cam Bancroft, who's recently arrived to play for Durham. Um, really interesting things to say about the old sandpaper gate. We don't like digging this up much. Um, <laughs> Sanding it off. <laughs> hey. So as you'll recall, we'll just give a very quick recap, but Cam Bancroft was banned for nine months for being the sandpaperer. Mm. Um, and he spoke openly about his experience in this, uh, in this article. Um, he's now said he feels almost grateful for the mistake as it's turned him into a much better and more reflective person. Um, it's a tough one as well. It's a bit of a tough read because... He was obviously the, the up-and-coming younger player, wasn't he? It was yeah. David Warner, it was Steve Smith that were really the, the ones... Encur- well, we have to say encouraging because they were both banned for their, their part of it. Uh, but the fact that he cites that he's first in knock in that very same Cape Town test match as his best of his 10 caps, best of his innings in his 10 caps, shows what an error of judgment it was. He was just finding his feet in test cricket before he was banned. Um, I'll give you a quote or two, Rob, and then give, give us what you've got. But this is a really telling one for me. He says, I invested too much to the point where I lost control of my values. What had become important to me was being liked, being well-valued, feeling really important to my teammates, like I was contributing something by using sandpaper on a cricket ball. That's something I don't even think I even understood until that mistake happened. But it's part of the journey and a hard lesson I needed to learn. Okay, so let's look at that first. And then there's the big bit I'll bring in afterwards. That, him saying that now... Um, is exactly how he would have felt when it came out. Because he would have been right in the mixer of these big personalities. Yeah. And the Australian mentality was so dog-eat-dog during that period. And they were a horrendous team to, one, probably play against, but two, to watch on TV. They were vile at times. And yeah. he's just a ball boy that's got caught up in it. And actually now he's got time to sit back and reflect and go, that ain't me, that isn't. He's probably a nice bloke, probably a great bloke. 
and he, he just got caught up in the mixer of trying to be with those with those people yeah. it's like like having no money and going to the races and trying to live up with a load of millionaires <laughs> and you throw in you you 20 quids in and you're like oh i've not really got that 20 quid to spend today but you've gone and done mm. it anyway yeah yeah absolutely he, he certainly got caught up in it i mean he's he's obviously accepted responsibility for his action he understands how bad it was how bad it looked on him on australia and on cricket in general uh, but it's clear from the way he's reflected on this that he he wasn't the guy that said, "Hey, hey, lads, I've got a bit of sandpaper. So shall I use it?" <laughs> There's no way in the world he was. You know, we we can easily say here that it was Smith and Warner was involved in that decision, but yeah. the big big part of it was the question that was put to him by the uh, Guardian reporter was really what you know. At least some of the bowlers surely knew what you were doing, yeah. and his response, I'll you know read yeah. verbatim first, but was, "Yeah, look, all I want." <laughs> of course, he said, "Yeah, look." Oh, yeah, look. <laughs> Sorry, it's my favourite start to an Aussie conversation. Ever listen to Ricky Ponting? Every reply to every question. Oh, look. Oh. But anyway, sorry, Aussie. So, yeah, look, all I wanted to do was be responsible and accountable for my own actions in part. Yeah, obviously what I did benefits bowlers and the awareness around that probably is self-explanatory. Yeah. So, as I say, in response to that, bowlers surely knew his response when probed again was, you know, it, it's probably self-explanatory, meaning they knew what was going on. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's quite an innocent comment going, you you guys aren't daft. Like, you all know this. And mm-hmm. um, what is going to be good is it probably going to turn open a new page to kind of look into what was going on, potentially mm-hmm. more people being called out for for what was going on. There's no way in a small changing room environment, if someone's got the Mr. Sheen out polishing the ball in the corner or the sandpaper or whatever... Mm-hmm that no one else is aware of what's going on. Everyone's yeah. bloody aware of what's going on in the changing room. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's not trying to hold all 11 responsible. But, you know, I was saying this the other day, if, a, if someone had chucked the ball to me when I was bowling and I looked at it and one side looked like it had been scraped along the car park, yeah, I'd be going, what the hell's happened to the ball? Yeah. I'd be asking the question if I didn't know anything about it. Obviously, I'd, oh, sorry. Oh, crap. I didn't realise we were trying to tamper the ball. <laughs> but I would be like, what the hell? What Look after the ball, lads. You know, you'd be yeah. saying something. Um. So they knew it's simple as that. And this whole, you know, the holier than now response from Cricket Australia, oh, you know, you know deep you know, root and branch review, probably that they did. Um, they clearly didn't. It's one of those, isn't it? It's like they didn't look hard. You know, they, they went with the ones they could go, and, and there were some big names that they took down, you know, with Warner and Smith. Obviously, that didn't help Australia, but they had to do something. They had to be seen to be doing something. But the likes of Mitch Stark and others, they clearly knew what was going on, you would imagine. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, this hopefully cricket Australia offices are um, you know open and <laughs> the phone phones are, are ringing and the, the panic's going on a little bit here because it was never properly properly looked into. Um, I don't think, and um, maybe this just opens it. Oh, I'm sure his intention wasn't to get anybody else in trouble, but he was honest and open about this, and he has to be. This is his his story, isn't it? It's he's been impacted by it, so it's good for his health to be as honest and open about it as he can. Um, he's, yeah, just quick. I mean, he's done a lot to turn himself and his life around. Apparently he's done a lot of good things in the community. Um, you know, and it's, it's just one of those things, isn't it? He'll kick off a season in the upcoming game for Durham at Derby uh, this week. Um, so he's ready for some cricket. He's had a rough go in Australia, a rough go in, um, in even in county cricket of the year. Or so afterwards, oh, sorry, test matches over here, wasn't it? He got absolutely, yeah. Keeps, didn't he? Walking to the crease, etc. Yes. So, but the last year or so, he started to play some much, much better cricket, uh, and he'll be hoping to to get himself deep in the runs at Durham um, as quickly as possible. Good on him. And uh, talking of Durham, you're segueing like a boss today, son. We've uh, got a bit of a county cricket round six roundup, and Durham even played one of the two games in Group One. So that's that's just a segue of all segues. They did. And why don't we just make use of that segue and let's get straight into it. So Group One, Rob, Durham against Worcestershire. Durham, massive, massive win. Won by 258 runs. Uh, Huge, huge win for the host. But it's going to be largely remembered as the game Durham legend Chris Chris Rushworth overtook Graham Onions to become the leading wicket-taker for Durham in first-class cricket. Moment came in the second innings with a dismissal of Jack Haynes' 528th wicket. Um, congratulations to him legend of a player obviously he deserves all the accolades and all the all the backslapping he's going to get Durham have got themselves quietly a very very good team a seam attack of Bryden Carter young up-and-comer Ben Rain and Mark Wood yeah. alongside Rushworth and led by Rushworth obviously is a huge part of their success this year 
Uh, but also in this game, a first innings 99 from England hopeful Alex Lees and a second innings 100 from Kiwi Will Young and Jack Burnham show that both sides of the ball are stepping up for Durham. Run of five draws for Worcester so far this season in the five games and a first defeat for them for this one. Right. Great for Durham. They're unbeaten in the last three. They've won the last two, climbing the way up the league. Um, won two out of five games of play, 40%. Will Young's had a really good stint at the club. He's going to be happy to get, I think it's his second 100, 278 runs at 39. Off to the Black Caps, go and spend some time mm-hmm. in a hotel while everyone else is quarantining, <laughs> I think, or doing something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but Durham are peaking at the right time in the right group. Because the group is so tight, they're giving themselves an opportunity. Their 38.36 batting average is the best in county cricket. Take that alongside their bowling, which is absolutely phenomenal and is the lowest bowling average in county cricket with 24.21. They are end-to-end bookmarking some of the big stats you want to cover off as a team and they're doing it superbly. Absolutely, Rob. I mean, Rushworth, go back to him for a second. Nine wickets in the game. It wasn't just that he got one wicket in the game and that broke uh, Bunny Onion's uh, record. He got nine in the game. But that attack as well. Mark Wood, four wickets in the game. Bryden Carr's four wickets in the game. Ben Rain's chipping in there as well. They've got a, a barrage of seamers steaming in. They've got the batters that are starting to make runs. Ned Eckersley in the second innings to, to set up the win. 86 off 57 balls. He went absolutely yeah, whatever the word might be. <laughs> he kicked on. And Bryden Carr's as well in the first innings of 38 not out. You know, there's some good cricketers developing again. Durham have had a couple of dark years, haven't they? They've always developed good players. But the money issues, both from came in as chairman or whatever his role is, and they had to really strip back and, and rebuild. And they're starting to, to um, reap the benefits of that and looking pretty good. They, they're going up to, I mean, Knotts went top last week and Durham played the same games as, uh, as Knotts now. 73 points, their joint uh, second with Knotts. So really, really impressive turnaround for Durham. Uh, they're just quietly going about the business and uh, and starting to kick on. What, what what about Worcester, mate? Worcester unbeaten on the season. Sorry, were unbeaten on the season until this game. Drew four, lost one. We'd spoke about them. We'd spoke about how strong their batting was. Jake mm. Libby has been a leading light for these guys. But one of the issues is here, he hasn't gone on and made a big score. And that's not a detriment to him. He's had a fantastic season, but he scores 22% of that team runs. When he doesn't go and make 50, they have put up this kind of performance. And you back that up with the second worst bowling attacker in the league, Mm. averaging 47. This is probably why we've never been able to go all in on Worcester, even though they've scored so many runs so often. Yeah, I mean, people have made starts in this game. Tom fell 44, Darren Muscle 62, Jake Libby 36. It's not enough, is it? In one of those innings, they're the top scorers. One of those guys needs to go on and make a bigger score. It's simple as that. Durham did it with two centuries in the second innings and in 99 in the first innings. That's the difference in this game. They're, I mean, it, it was five draws and one defeat. So it's they're struggling. They're, they're only three points behind Durham, but with a game, played one game extra. Um I think they'll be happy that Derbyshire are in this uh, this this group. That's all I'll say at the minute for, for Worcestershire. I think they're slipping. I think they're a team that have got some good potential, but they're slipping. One thing we have said recently, though, the last thing I'll say on this game is that we said one of their bowlers needs to step up. Well, Josh Tong, he got himself seven wickets in this game. Um, so he certainly did do that, including five for 39 in the, in the Durham first innings. Good on him. And you, it is a good job they've got Derbyshire in this group because Derbyshire are on a pretty horrendous run and they've had another horrendous week. It's not been good, but Essex have had a much, much better week after some really difficult uh, games of late. But uh, yeah, Essex, Derbyshire, Essex won by an innings and 15 runs. And in this innings win was set up by a really, really bold and early declaration in a, in a rain-affected game and obviously rain-affected round of games. Anyone in England will be able to agree with that. Dan Lawrence is on prime form as he just about as he's ready to go and play for England. But he starred in their only innings for Essex with an unbeaten 152, which included a rapid acceleration up to that 152 with Matt Critchley, April's player of the month, leggy for Derbyshire, being on the wrong end of some massive hitting. I think he, uh, I think it was the last four balls or about four balls were pretty much went for six, 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 six uh, against Critchley. So Lawrence is looking really, really good. Um, with the ball, Derbyshire was destroyed by that man that we have to mention every week, Simon Harbour. He took nine for 80. It's getting to the point where these massive wicket-taking innings aren't as 
astounding. We've had Ollie Robinson take nine for. We've had players take eight for, seven for. It's been a crazy summer for people taking big wickets. Um, and Simon Harbour does it yet again. He got a, a further three wickets in the second innings to record his seventh 10-wicket haul in county cricket, uh, ending the game with 12 for 202. Um, as for Derbyshire, top and middle order resistance for the, in the second innings included a maiden half century for Brooke Guest, finally broken down by uh, Jamie Porter and, uh, and little chef Sam Cook, alongside obviously wicket machine Simon Harmer. Um, Derbyshire not big fans of playing Essex, Rob, as this was their fourth innings defeat term in the last five meetings. Oh, that's, that's rough to take. But what is a rough to take players. is scoring big runs. And when you score big runs, England selection right around the corner, Dan Lawrence, one of those guys you'd expect to be in the 17, but he's in fine fettle, possibly the finest format of any England batsman in county cricket, getting it done, 481 runs, average of 60, strike rate of almost 63, and he's doing it in style. I read a fantastic article in the Wisdom magazine about Dan Lawrence, and he's such a Dan to worth, all right, mate. Essex <laughs> sort of guy. And one of the things he said, he was talking about Coley giving him a bit of banter while he was batting in India. And he was talking about the presence that, that Coley has. And he goes, oh, it's pretty good that he wanted to take a crack at me because I was trying to smack their good bowlers around. Mm. And uh, he was talking about the England team. And he's like, oh, yeah, with Root, Broad, Anderson, they've all got a great presence, a huge amount of mana around mm. the room. But they're just like everyone else. They've got an arsehole like me, so they're no different, are they? <laughs> I was like, that's the sort of guy that can go out there and play free-willed. We spoke about him. Has he got the right technique for a number three, the right temperament? But it sounds like he's got the right attitude to just block everything out and go and play his own game. And this innings was exactly mm. that. He was butchering attacks. He hit a one-need helicopter shot mm. down the ground for four and six and landed down on the ground. Um, yeah. Absolute class, mate. I've just fallen in love with the bloke. Yeah, he's got something about him, hasn't he? Like we said before, he's batting at four for Essex. So it's not a massive leap, is it, for him to go and bat at three for England if required? And I wonder if that might be where he's he's looking for. He, he, he could go two ways as a cricketer at the moment, couldn't he? He's a young fellow. He could go to that number three, or he could become more of a power hitter and drop down to maybe five or six. And, you know, or maybe, maybe not six, but maybe let's say five. And someone like a Pope goes up the order. But we shall see. That's, that's all for the future. But in this game... Um, Alistair Cook and Nick Brown both hit half centuries opening Tom Wesley 106 at three Lawrence obviously is 152 not out at four um, and there was another not out obviously down there but it, only three wickets fell in the 412 declared Matt Critchley got some hammer one for 87 Eesh. Um, and just just finishing off on Lawrence as well one for 20 he was the man that deprived Simon Harmer so he's not all good Rob he's not all good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he is chucking himself in with a few overs as well, but a superb performance. Derbyshire woes, they're going to group three, no two ways about it. Difficult group, a lot of half-decent teams and some good teams thrown into the mixer, but the bowling average of 37, fourth, work, fourth worst in the whole of the county championship. That's just, it's not going to cut it. Um, one thing to note about Essex, and we spoke about in the last few weeks going, well, they got bowled out for 100 here, they got bowled out for 100 there, and they're all or nothing. They've actually scored the most runs in county cricket despite mm. having two scores below 100 and getting rolled, mate. So when they score, they score really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. And they're top of the top of group one now, 76 points. One, two, lost two, drawn two. A nice balanced re- record so far. Knotts and Durham in second place. Worcester a little bit behind. And then Warwickshire getting, uh, only played five games, six, seven, and Derbyshire on 41. Essex host Warwickshire, Knotts, Worcester, Derby, Durham uh, in this upcoming round of fixtures. Group two, Rob, should we um, head to HQ? Uh, yeah, let's go and talk about that team that I called the, the best team in the country a few weeks ago that, that don't well, do very well until they go to HQ. Absolutely. Well, everybody's getting a win against Middlesex, it seems, at the moment. So, yeah, Hampshire at Middlesex. Hampshire won this game by seven wickets and largely thanks to 11-wicket Kyle Abbott-inspired performance. Um, three-day win, another low-scoring game involving Middlesex. Surprise, surprise. Um, ended with Hampshire knocking off a target of 66 in just 15 and a half overs. 34-year-old Keith Barker hit a first innings 84 to provide the platform for the mercurial Hampshire side. And um, that have started strong, as you got on the bandwagon early, Rob, but have stumbled in the last couple or few weeks. Um, it's a really, I mean, scores in this game, 172 for Middlesex, 208 Hampshire, 101 all out for Middlesex, and then the 66 for three knocking off. A really, really poor game with the bat for everybody, apart from Keith Barker. James Vince got himself a half-century. Nick Gubbins for Middlesex. 
But really, it's all about the bowlers, isn't it? Like we said, uh, 11 wickets for Kyle Abbott. Again, 11 wickets in the game. We're not making a big deal about somebody taking 11 wickets in a game because it seems to be happening so often at the moment. Mohamed Abbas, six in the game as well. And Ethan Bamba, he's starting to do himself um, no harm at all with the wickets he's taken. He got four in the game. Um, Middlesex just cannot score runs, Rob, and I don't know where they turn. Peter Hanscom's there now, the Aussie. And, you know, 24 lead top score in their second innings. I don't know where they're going to turn at the moment. Mate, I'm, I'm going to call out Abbott and Abbas took 17 out of the 20 wickets for Hampshire. And that is the bulk of their attack. When they're on, they have won games. So more credit to them. They were impeccable around that off stumps. Wickets, bold, LBW, caught behind. They were, they were doing it all. Essex are, sorry, Middlesex. Let gets get the right sex right, are in an absolute dire strait, mate. They started off the season okay. They've won two of the games, but they've lost four. They've, they've got the highest losing percentage in county cricket. Out of the teams that's in the league, they average 184 per innings with the bat, which is the worst. A batting average of 20 per person, which is the worst. And the lowest amount of overs faced on average between any team. They only last 62.3 overs on average, which is horrendous. But... They have the best bowling average against the team. So the teams against them only average 208. So they're complete Jekyll and Hyde. And all they've needed all season is just a little bit from the batting unit to support the incredible work the bowlers are doing week in, week out. And they just can't get across the line. They can't do it. They can't bat rich. They can't bloody bat. The thing, you're not asking them to hit 400 every innings either, are you? That's the point. If they could get up to 250, maybe 300, they're going to win games of cricket, but they just can't get away from those, you know, low to middling 100 scores. It's 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 just ordinary, it's simple as that. And I don't think we need to give them any more time. Um, so the, call out Hanscom. Oh, Hanscom, yep. possibly, you know, I spoke about him before the start of the season, he scored a load of white ball runs in Australia, didn't mm. score that many in Sheffield Shield. He's been bloody woeful, mate. Three ducks from seven innings that he's played in 55 runs in total with the highest of 24. It, like, seriously, mate, you could you could pay me a load of money and I might score seven runs, but it's not going to make too much difference. <laughs> yeah. He's only scoring 160. It's, I'll take it back. I will just speak one more moment on Middlesex. And now you've mentioned Hanscom. It's a little bit tricky for him because he was given the captaincy and he was supposed to come over last year. He didn't. He still got the captaincy. And he's not been part of this squad, he's, but he's still been captain. So he's probably on the WhatsApp chats and all the rest of it with his players as, as skipper. But he's not been there. So it's been building up for a long, long time that he's going to come over. He's going to captain. He's going to score some runs. He's the Aussie overseas. And it's it, he's probably arrived and, you know, struggling team. It's not like he can hide in the middle order whilst the, you know, three or four people around him are scoring shed loads. He's sat there thinking, this is on me. Christ, you know, build it up. Everyone's been expecting a lot from me for the last year and a half, you know, before I've come over. So, yeah, a bit of pressure on him, but, you know, I'm sure he's been paid quite well. So, you know, It'll be right. suck it up, score some runs. Um, they could have done with the game down at Somerset, to be fair, couldn't they? they? They'd have taken that. The, exactly. They could have, yeah. Basically, 68 overs in a washout. That's all the cricket we got. But for England selectors and for Rory Burns, he at least had, uh, you know, his 50. He got a 55. Um, score in this one his fifth 50 in seven innings we're gonna start giving him the gritty title yeah and I'm not talking about the Philadelphia Flyers mascot for anyone that knows what I'm talking about there I'm talking about the Dean Elgar grittiness moniker he's about to take it off him and he just keeps grinding out these scores he's not really hit a big score yeah um but he obviously he's gonna be happy with this he's doing just enough yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure he'll be happy that they did get in those 68 overs. Um, Ollie Pope, 33. He spent a little bit of time at the crease. Ben Folk, 16, not out of 19 balls. Again, he spent a bit of time at the crease. He would have wanted to, to really knuckle down and get a big score in this one. He started the season well, gone off the boil a little bit with the bat. He wants to make sure he's nailing down that spot in the test match. Um, as for Somerset, Craig Overton and Jack Leach were both rested for this encounter. But basically, everyone had a rest, didn't they? So nine points apiece. Um, Somerset stay in second place, I believe, and Surrey are fourth. So that'll be that. Mm-hmm. It's a f- funny one with Burns. If, if Burns had have transitioned, he's got a high score of 18. You talked about these 550s that he scored. If he'd scored one century out of these, you're just going, mm-hmm. right, Rory Burns is the guy. He's averaging he's 50. He's, he's scored it. But he's gritted them out. But I think some of the differences, look at this game. Like, it's been rained off for three days or whatever it is. So it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been easy work. Um, but Surrey have the highest average 
first inning score in the league, 344 week in, week out, mm. their, their average. But the bowling unit's 14th best. So I'd, I'd just expect, I'd expect more from Burns. But if I'm going to pick someone in the squad now, it's not going to be Hassan Azad like I would have liked. Mm. Burns has probably done enough to be in that 17-man squad and get a knot, mate. Yeah, it's frustrating. I don't want to go banging on the England selection drum again, but it's a bit frustrating because it does feel like we're going to go back to a Burns and Sibley opening partnership. It and it just underwhelms. I'm not, I've not got anything against either player. Either player deserve their, their, their call-ups and they deserve their opportunities. But it might be a blessing in disguise, actually. It's like, get them in then. And you've got four innings. Like hopefully you've got four innings. Um, if, if everything's even, go and score runs. Because I'm I'm just a bit sick of it now. It's it's like they're both good players. They both I'm sure are good people. Burns has got questionable hair, but then I can't speak because I've haven't got many <laughs> left anyway. And what I have is gone white. <laughs> so what happened to my blonde locks? <laughs> um, but just go and score runs now. I'm sick and tired of seeing these like cons- you know conservative sort of gritty grinding scores out just go and play with some freedom go and, go and score some big runs come on you know you're supposed to be an England England opener have some confidence let's go Mark, Mark War was talking about Rory Burns and uh, Dominic Sibley opening the batting for England on the Fox cricket lead up to the ashes over here the other ah, day yeah. and he said if this is what test cricket is I don't want to watch it anymore yeah so, I think that's where I'm coming from yeah I'm not saying it has to be T20 Jason Roy but give me something yeah, but to me, if they can go over there and bore them to death and back time, learn to mm. back time, just grind them down. Yeah, it, it's going to be a weird one, isn't it? Because we we were desperately in need of an opening two or three that would back time yeah. for England because we just kept having those collapses. But I wonder if now we're getting the, the confidence and the experience in the likes of Pope and Lawrence and you know, one or two others. And obviously Root's playing a lot better cricket again in the last uh, six months or so. 12 months even. Um, I wonder if maybe we can start to think about freeing things up a little bit at the top or maybe one of those top three anyway, somewhat a little bit more fluent um, than the two chaps that have been uh, mm. asked to take the job on. I mean, Gloucestershire, we've got to mention Gloucestershire at the very least. They've not played, but they're still oh. four points clear. Game in hand on Somerset, Hampshire, Surrey and Middlesex. Top of the table. Power rankings, I believe. Your your baby power rankings, number one still. Leicestershire, they've got a game in hand as well, and they're four points off Middlesex. So they are bottom still, but they're coming for Middlesex. I'm sure if they've all played the same games, we would be seeing Middlesex as probably the worst team in county cricket at the moment. But yes, group three, Rob, let's get on to it. More rain. Um, match drawn. Two drawn games in group three this week. Leaders Yorkshire. Um, they were played against Glamorgan and they put themselves in a pretty good position in the first innings after dismissing Glamorgan for 149. Uh, Harry Brook and Patterson were through with this piece. Joe Root got himself 99 before he chopped on a Dan Delfwaite delivery. Sounds like Dan Delfwaite should be playing for Yorkshire, doesn't he? He's got that sort of name. Dan Delfwaite. Dan Delfwaite. <laughs> chopped on a delivery. Um, but for the host, 23-year-old, we've got to mention this guy, 23-year-old in-form Kieran Carlson was unbeaten on 88 for Glamorgan in the second oh. innings. Uh, his sixth half century of the season. Um, he he, a, an absolute talent. I think he we spoke about him before. He was one of the youngest. I think he was the youngest player ever for Glamorgan to score a hundred when he was about seventeen, eighteen, or something. I can't remember what it was. But he's a young, young guy. Read something about him this week. He's been doing his studies. He's been doing a university degree at the same time as playing. So ducking, you know, when there's a rain delay, he's been going and doing a bit of coursework in one of the commercial boxes and whatnot. So yeah. he's very close to finishing his studies. And if he's doing this when he's still studying full time, then when the uh, when the hand breaks off and he's he's putting his final piece of coursework, the sky could be the limit for this guy. Um, he's 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 up there in the, in the leading run scorers in county cricket, and he is a name to properly keep an eye on. Kieran Carlson, um, yeah, a drawn game, Rob. Not much to say. Michael Neesa, five wickets for Glamorgan in Yorkshire's only innings. The old boy, another old boy in county cricket. <laughs> He's still doing it, still doing the business. Nice. Um, puts Yorkshire in the driving seat, really, a rained-off game. They don't lose anything. No one gains anything on them around trying to get that top two spot to be able to go and play in the group one of the next stage before the next stage that comes after it. We, ha- <laughs> we have stages now, Rich. That's uh, that's what wow. Ooh. <laughs> I like it. Um, good news for Joe Root as well. Scoring runs, difficult conditions. His 99 goes with his 101 he made against Kent. Um I just, I like this Yorkshire team. I put on Reddit the power rankings the other day. It had Yorkshire in four, Glamorgan one, 
And um, I got ripped to pieces because Yorkshire aren't higher. And you know what? They make a very, very valid point that they could be higher. The the thing about this Yorkshire team is they do both things well enough. The you know the the average two hundred and fifty eight runs per innings, which is ninth, so midway through between eighteen teams, two hundred and thirty two against with the ball, which is the fifth best. So they're doing everything well. But what that gives you is result cricket and Yorkshire are a results-driven team that's won three of the six games, and there's not many teams that's winning that amount. Glamorgan, they just kind of petered themselves into that group two stage, middle tier of this group. Decent team will probably be near the higher end of that second stage group thing that happens next. Mm. Just where did, <laughs> I like the signals. Where did I have them in the um, in the rankings? Because we do obviously we both put a, a, a vote in, don't we? And then the average gets taken. Rob, where did I have Yorkshire? Um, uh, I think I had them. I had them higher than you. you had them I? third. Yeah. Okay. So that's not bad. That's not you bad. Had them I mean, third. I I may have bogged them down a little bit by getting overly excited um, on the Durham train based on their Ooh, high wow. batting average and best bowling attack in the league. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, just just before any Yorkshire folk could kick off too much, you know, I had you higher, let's just put it <laughs> that way. Um, and also, if they had a Middlesex record, they'd still think they should be in the top five. It's Yorkshire yeah. after all, isn't it? They're, you know, number one county in the world. Number one, mm-hmm. best, would win the Olympics. <laughs> exactly. Last game, let's get it wrapped up, Rob. Sussex Kent, we started the pod talking about Sussex Kent. We're going to end it talking about Sussex Kent. This game started with so much excitement. I was giddy watching Joffrey Archer steaming in at full pace, but this ended in yet another draw. Archer, as we said, he removed Bell Drummond and Zach Crawley early. We thought was going to have a great game. Kent dismissed for 145. Their troubles continued. Ollie Robinson, three wickets as well. George Garton, three for three wickets as well. He looks pretty good. Jack Carson, a name we mentioned again when we're talking about the England selection. Probably not there yet, but not far off the young spinner. Um, so game injured, obviously, we spoke about his elbow injury, but um, yeah, bottom side, Kent. I just want to focus on them more, really. Sussex, 256. It was a bit of a, okay, yeah, 52 for Van Zyl. Matt Quinn, he's on loan from Essex. He got four wickets. And a youngster, Nathan Gilchrist, who, um, nice game, 20-year-old. In his third first-class game, he took 351 and he's took after four for 74 last week in his second game. So Kent bowling better. They dismissed Sussex. But with the bat, they turned things around, Rob. 387 for four in the second innings to, to take this to a draw. Um, Zach Crawley, England watch, 85. Great to see. Again, a bit like Dan Lawrence. He's, he scores some runs at the right time. Jack leaning with his second century. Uh, in the last three or four years, I think it is, 127 not out. And the other Ollie Robinson, a game which saw two Ollie Robinsons play, uh, the young wicketkeeper for Kent, Ollie Robinson got 85 as well. So great to see some resistance from Kent, some plenty of fight as well. They've had a really tough season, but with the ball, they did pretty well. And with the bat in the second innings, they certainly, uh, it's probably one of their best performances of the season so far. Yeah, it is. And it's got to be said, it's been a pretty dour season for them. Three losses, three draws, Lost 50% of the games, only Leicester, who are a horrendous bowling attack, and Middlesex losing 83% of their games have, have got a worse record at the moment. Um, it is the bowling that's caused them problems throughout the season, unfortunately. They've got, they, they go at 307 against them on average, uh, first and second innings combined, which is 17th worst in the division. Only Leicester with 7,000 are, are in a worse position, but. It's good to see the batting kind of come together. Good to see um, Zach Crawley's scoring runs. He's been one of their more consistent players. However, we talk about England players. He's not set the world alight. He's not got that 100 that kind of takes him through to that next stage. But, you know, you know his body of work over the last 18 months as an England cricketer is by far good enough to, to get him in there. Um, and hopefully he'll come in steaming, ready to go. Sussex have got a bit to play for left in this stage, I'm going stage again, stage of the season, um, 61.7 behind North Ants. They need a win from somewhere, mate. They they really do need a win. And I'm not quite sure where it's going to come from just yet. No, no, it's, it's, it's a competitive group, isn't it? I mean, Yorkshire, Lancashire, they, they look like they're speeding off ahead, don't they? It's simple as that. It's a, it's a sort of a two-tier or a three-tier group, this one, with Kent being right at the bottom. Uh, but Yorkshire and Lancashire looking solid in this one. Um, next week, um, Yorkshire have a week off, so does Sussex. Uh, North Ant against Lancashire, Kent against Glamorgan. 
in Group 3. Just quickly, I was just looking at the stats. Kieran Carlson, who I said keep an eye on, he's second leading run scorer in county cricket at the moment, 552 runs, just behind that run machine, David Beddingham, that had a pretty quiet game uh, for Durham this week. So that's why you want to keep an eye on him. That's uh, that's incredible. He, he kind of has gone under the radar, hasn't he? Because mm-hmm. he's, his high score's 132. And that's nothing against scoring 132. It's just mm. David Begnum got a 257 and Jake Libby's got his 180 not out and Ollie mm. Pope's got a 245. These big like, wow, what is going on with the world? Or a Rob Yates getting 120 not out to win a game, even mm. though he's not done much else other than one of the century. But <laughs> it kind of has gone under the radar, but he's right up mm. there. It's about 20% of the team's runs on the season. Daniel Begnum, top run scorer in the league, 624. He's got the mm. highest percentage of runs um, for his team, around 24%. So they rely so heavily um, on him. But good to see him. Good to see, good to see him mm. right up there. Yeah, absolutely. Just looking at the um, runs, run scorers, um, Tom Wesley, he played for England, had a little bit of a go yeah. for England. I'm not going to start suggesting England at all, but he's got 493 runs now, high score 213. Three centuries. He's the only player, apart from Sam Evans at Leicestershire, I believe, that has three centuries this season. So that's pretty impressive. Again, under the radar player. Um, I'd just like to also say that um, Adam Live is dropping down. He's now fourth highest leading run scorer. Uh, just saying, just saying. Just saying, shouldn't, shouldn't be popping. <laughs> Matt Critchley is right up there as well, mate. Just... Yeah, I like Adam Live, don't get me wrong. I just, just not, I'm not, with, not believing the hype of, uh, of him at 33.1. <laughs> Top wicket taker. We've got to name him one more time. Harmer. Always. Simon Harmer. It's been like, you remember when, um, was it Sacklane? Sacklane Mushtak came over and was just top mm. wicket taker every single year yeah. that he played over here. Simon Harmer's that. One of his teammates called him the best spinner in the world um, yeah. this week, which is a, um, you can't question it. He's not played international cricket, so you can't measure him at that level. But why can't he play international cricket? He's obviously a very, very talented individual. Mm. Yeah, I mean, age and passport, age and residency, all that sort of stuff is holding against him, isn't it? But uh, who knows? It's, it's such a shame that he's not been able, you know, a player like this that's clearly got talent that has not been able to play internationally and put himself against the, the top, top players. Um, if people are wondering why Craig Overton and Ollie Robinson keep getting mentioned and potentially might see their names in the England squad that gets announced today, well, Overton, secondly, we can take it with 32 at 13.96 and Robinson has 29 at 14.72. That's why. That, They're both going to be exactly in the why. That's, that's why. That's useful. And Christian it's Rushworth, really 26 good. wickets at 16. Just useful. Yeah. I love the word Legend. useful. Rich, we've got two more minutes left of the podcast today. And yep. uh, I see you've got something a, a little bit special, a little bit different to end the podcast. Yes. With. Yeah. And I'm just wondering whether or not to drop it and talk about something else. But um, I'll go with this and then we'll pick up something another day that I've just seen yeah. come through on my phone. But yeah, um, you've had some shocking bats over the years. One of our good friends sold you a complete duff that was basically a piece of, well, I don't even want to disrespect balsa wood, but it was about the the width of a pencil case. Yeah. Um, But what about a bamboo bat, Rob? Fancy one? Uh, You know what? If it was a bit wider, (laughs) it might help (laughs) me. Well, it won't be. That's the thing. But yeah, it came, it's been in the news, hasn't it, this week? But oh, just just in case people haven't haven't heard this, let's just let you uh, let you be informed. Uh, Cambridge University study has indicated that a prototype bamboo cricket bat has a larger sweet spot, interested, than a traditional willow blade. It's stronger, hmm, more sustainable, eco, and cheaper to produce. It also seems to not go so well off the edges. I mean, what is not to love? Uh, Dr. Darshul Shah of Cambridge Centre for Natural Material Innovation, who is a former member of Thailand's under-19 national cricket team. Wow. Yeah, we talk about it all here. He's described this prototype as a batsman's dream. Wow. So I like the sound of this so far. Uh, Lower cost could boost participation in countries such as India and China, which have fewer financial resources, obviously, with uh, the the masses. Um, A lot of cricket bats are made in the likes of India at the moment, but it's English willow that's cut shipped over to India and then turned into cricket bats and shipped back over to England and other places. So if there is a material that it grows basically next to their, um, their um, factories over there, what a fantastic resource. Use it. Yeah. It cuts out a lot of journeys, makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there are British bat manufacturers. Use one locally, B3 and Knots, great, great, uh, great bat company. You don't have to have these bats that go shipped all over the world. But this is really interesting development. Um, however, before I let you jump in and have your say, bats generally use British willow. Okay, so 
if we were to use a bamboo bat, we would have to change the MCC law 5.3.2, which simply states that the blade of the bat must consist solely of wood. Obviously, that's how they're going to sound. Um, and as bamboo is a grass, Rob, there is no, no allowance for bamboo bats just yet, according to Marleybone Cricket Club. I tell you what, mate, you learn something new every day. I would have said that bamboo were wood, but I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. <laughs> <laughs> um, Obviously, it's a grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate. Tomorrow's a fruit as well, yeah. <laughs> It is. Mm, yeah, so fancy one? Um, I don't see anything wrong with exploring what can change in the game to be environmentally friendly. Joe Roots come mm. out and said it's quite scary that cricket might be played indoors in 30 years' time because of climate change. This mm. is something that's going to help. It's um, I'm all for investigation into seeing if things can be done better or different. Just because something's been done the way it's been done doesn't exactly. mean it's right. Yeah, cricket is a game of tradition, obviously, so it's going to be a lot of resistance, I'm sure, by those at uh, those at their headquarters. Uh, the other thing holding back the bat as well, it's laminated, so it's not just a solid lump of wood like a willow is. Yeah. Um, they do laminate, so it's, it's, it's sections. So if anyone's got a bamboo fruit bowl or something that they bought from Ikea or a chopping board, you'll see those little sections. Yeah. Those Apparently the blocks are all put together and then they're sent off to be turned into bats, but they have to be built up into a block first rather than a tree being taken down into a block. Uh, so that's the other thing that they need to overcome. Um, I'm not going to get into it now, Rob, because I know that you need to hop off. But I just want to say, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood and Nathan Lyon, the Cape Town Four yeah. uh, that have been Im- implicated in the Sandpaper Gate, have come out and put a statement out today, basically just saying that they pride themselves on their honesty. So it's been disappointing to see that our integrity has been questioned by some journalists and past players in recent days in regard to the Cape Town Test of 2018. We did not know a foreign substance was taken onto the field to alter the condition of the ball until we saw the images on the big screen at Newland. They go on, they go on. And I'm sure we can talk about that more in the next one. But I thought just as we've spoken about it, let's give them their say. No. Um, innocent, not me, Gov. I didn't know anything about it. Of course they're going to come out and say that. Um, I hope there's further investigations into it and we start <laughs> to find out. Where's the where's line of duty? Get the corruption out. <laughs> AC12 on the I job. don't like Bent bowlers. <laughs> I hate bent coppers. <laughs> I'm in this for one reason only. Weeding uh, out sandpapers. Uh, it's good, mate. Cricket this weekend. You, you're playing again? Should be. Weather permitting. Forecast is rain every day, but it has been for the last couple of weeks. So, hey-ho, we'll get there. Nicely done, mate. Well, enjoy. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Make sure you subscribe if you are brand new and you have enjoyed yourself. Until next time. Podcast Network.